We've been in a uh, series called cross-training for the last four weeks. This is the last week of our series. You know, cross-training is a type of physical exercise that gives an athlete the ability to exercise muscles that will help him or her in a lot of different areas. That's why it's called cross-training. It crosses the various disciplines. We, as disciples of Jesus Christ, are also in cross-training. We need to learn how to better take up our cross and follow Christ. And so we've been exploring five steps to a stronger faith these last few weeks. We talked about eating healthy, which means we, we need to feast on the Word of God and uh, consume it into our life. We've discussed the need for a regimen, a, a spiritual plan of action for our lives. We've learned that it's never good to do this alone. We've learned that you're, you're better off, you learn better, you grow better, you're stronger if you're a part of a group, a, a body like the body of Christ. And last week we talked about the importance of regular spiritual exercise. Spiritual exercise strengthens the good things in our life and helps eliminate the bad things, the bad habits in our lives. Today, the last in the series is the one that can undermine all of the rest of them. I, I'm not suggesting this is the most important, but if we, if we don't do this, all the rest of them will come to naught. Here, here is the problem that we face, and that is the temptation to give up. If we give up, everything else that we do is for nothing. When you're in an exercise program or a weight loss plan, it, it's, it's hard to persevere, especially when progress is slower. You can't see any visible change taking place. That's when it's so easy to be, get discouraged. And if you have nothing to counter that discouragement or no one to counter that discouragement, you will inevitably give up the fight. And if you give up, all the other things that you've tried in your exercise and your diet will come to nothing. And the same is true spiritually. You may have developed a good spiritual regimen, or you may be involved in a great Bible reading program, or you've worked at exercising the virtues of your faith. But if you give up, all your previous disciplines will come to nothing. And when you drop out of the race that we call life, there's only one that will be cheering, and that's our arch enemy, Satan himself. Because you see, enticing us to give up is one of his most well-worn tools to use against the Christian in this long journey of life. Now, what are some of the reasons we get discouraged in life? Well, uh, this is one I probably hear more than anything else, uh, and that is, I, I, I doubt that there is a God, or I get discouraged in this life when bad things happen to good people. A family has a fire and loses everything. The job you thought would get you through to retirement gets eliminated because of a corporate merger. Or the retirement funds that you were counting on aren't there when you reach retirement age. Or the baby whose birth was such a joyous occasion in your family is suddenly stricken with a disease and you watch helplessly as your child fights for his very life. The list is endless. Bad things happen to good people, folks, because we are in a broken world. It is not the world that God designed. It is not the world that God created the way he wanted it to be. We are a broken world, and when you live in a broken world, bad things happen to good people. 
And tough times make us doubt God and make us want to give up. But don't you do it. Because even in our brokenness, God is very near. Here's the second thing that I hear a lot, and it is simply about prayer. You know, I pray and it doesn't seem like God does anything. It's not common when somebody will say to me, when I pray, it seems like my prayers get no higher than the ceiling. It's like God doesn't care that I have a need in my life. Now, I dare say all of us have experienced that frustration at some point in our Christian journey. You've prayed, and it seems like that God isn't listening. Maybe we need a clearer perspective. Consider this for a moment. Maybe God is answering, but not in the timetable you you want to see it answered. Or maybe God has answered with a no. Maybe God says no to your prayers because he has a better plan. Or sometimes our feelings of distance from God are not due to the fact that God has moved because God doesn't move away from us, but are due to the fact that we have moved farther away from God. And as we move farther away from God, we feel more distance between us, and that distance discourages us. And we can easily conclude, though wrongly so, that if God doesn't answer my prayers the way I want him to answer, then I'll just give up on God. A third thing is sometimes I make choices and they turn out bad. Anybody anybody know what I'm talking about? You make decisions, you make choices, and and they don't turn out so well. Andre Raffrey was 47 years old when he made a big financial decision. In France, it is popular to buy real estate by paying an elderly person. You work out a contract, and you pay them X number of dollars per month, and then when they pass away, their property goes to you. It's, It's sort of the same principle as a reverse mortgage that you hear advertised all the time. They start paying you in reverse, but when you die, the the property goes to the company that is paying you. In France, you do it individually. Now, at 47, Andre worked out a deal with Jean Calment, who at the time was 90 years old, And, and, and Andre promised to pay Jean $500 a month until she died, at which time her apartment in France would belong to him and his family. Now, this is usually one of those plans that works out good for both the payer and the the receiver. You know, the the elderly person gets a steady income, and the person who's doing the paying gets a a piece of property at, at, at the end of that person's life. In this case, it didn't turn out so well. Jean Calment gained international fame for becoming the world's oldest living person. When she died in 1997, she was 122 years old. She outlived Mr. Raffery by two years. He and his family had paid $184,000 for an apartment that was worth half of that, and he never got to live in it. Sometimes the decisions that we make that we think are good don't turn out so much, and the discouragement that sets in causes us to want to give up. Don't give up, even though it's tough. And here's another one. I I hear this a lot too. I feel so lonely. Loneliness is a discouraging thing. And, And loneliness can have an effect on a person's mental and physical health. The condition can lead to feelings of extreme depression and ultimately to some people could consider suicide. Research from the University of Missouri reported that when a person feels lonely, 
his blood pressure rises and conditions like arthritis and diabetes become even worse. And, and this is really surprising to me. Statistically, you wouldn't think this to be true, but statistically, while we would think older folks in their golden years might be the lonelier, statistically, teenagers often experience greater loneliness than older folks. All of which goes to simply point out the fact that nobody is exempt from these desperate feelings. That at any age and any stage in life, you can experience a deep loneliness. And, and when you feel alone, discouragement is often your only companion. And discouragement is always urging you to give up. Now since we all deal with times like this, where do we turn in God's word to find the help that we need? Well, folks, I want you to know there are literally scores upon scores of passages of Scripture that we could turn to. But I've chosen one today out of 1 Corinthians. And, and part of the reason I've chosen this one is because not only is it a powerful passage of Scripture, but this passage was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, which was one of the most discouraging, dysfunctional churches that we have in the New Testament. I don't know of a preacher, if he had his choice, who would want, and go, want to go and preach at the Corinthian church because of all of their problems. And yet, what Paul writes to the church there encourages us as well. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And Paul has just finished a tremendous discourse on the resurrection. All right, And then in, toward the end of chapter 15, verse 56, this is what we read. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, Paul begins this with the most discouraging factor in all of life. This is the biggest discourager death. The sting of death is sin. Sting here is that of a bee, a scorpion, the bite of a venomous snake. It is deeply painful. And here's what we must remember. Death is not natural. Yes, it happens to all of us with the progression of time, but it is not natural. When you walk to the, to the edge of a casket and you peer down into a casket, the person does not look natural. It's because it's not natural. Life is natural. That's the way God designed it. And the law of God, while being holy, righteous, and good, according to Romans chapter 7, is also what points out our sin. It is the law that points to our brokenness. And so when we study the law, we realize just how bad we are and how much we are deserving the punishment. And here's the thing. Death is the punishment and exists only because of humanity's rebellion against God. If, if we had not rebelled against God, there would be no death. Death is alien to God's original design, which is why it is so discouraging it's also why God went to such extravagant lengths to find a remedy. It's why Paul so quickly adds in verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You say, what victory? His victory. The resurrection. 
the resurrection has destroyed the power of sin, the power of death, and the power of the law. His resurrection gives us hope in the midst of our discouragement. His resurrection gives us the will to persevere in the midst of our desire to give up. Even now, in this broken world, we can experience a certain amount of victory through the hope that we have every day that better things are coming. But the ultimate victory will not take place until we step through heaven's gate and into the presence of the one who died that we might have life everlasting, and then death will be no more. That which is not natural will be gone forever. Now, Look at verse 58. This is Paul's conclusion. He begins with the word therefore, and therefore is always that kind of a word that means you look at everything that's been written before. Here's the conclusion to what I've just said. Therefore, brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Do you notice he said, dear brothers? The word you could actually translate, beloved family, family that I love. Now, I just find this incredible. Paul is writing to one of the most dysfunctional churches in the New Testament, and he still writes with love. I know you got all kinds of problems, Corinthians, but I, I love you nonetheless. God loves you nonetheless. Isn't it wonderful to know that in our brokenness, God never stops loving us? Just because our, weak, our lives are weak and problematic, God's hope and love are even stronger. That, that, that alone ought to encourage you on your discouraging days. But Paul gives us three statements of encouragement in this passage. And here they are, real quickly this morning. The first one was simply this, stand firm. Stand firm. This first admonition refers to the fact that they had already been established in their faith. Paul is writing uh, with, with this in mind, the tense of this expression, stand firm, refers back to when they first became Christians. Paul is saying, you remember what you did back here. You remember the commitment you made. Now stand firm. Don't waver. Keep the faith. Be loyal. You made a commitment to Jesus Christ. Don't give up on that. A few years ago, Gary McPherson studied 157 randomly chosen students who were going into a music program. They were going to choose their instruments and go into the school orchestra or the school band. And he was doing a study on the kids that do well with music and the kids that don't do well music. The kids that stayed with it and the kids that dropped out of it. And over the period of his study, he determined there were certain things that really didn't have any bearing. A child's IQ was not a good predictor. A child's oral sensitivity, his or her ability to listen and have a tone wasn't really it. Math skills wasn't it. The income of the family wasn't it. Or not even a sense of rhythm. Some of the kids that dropped out had a great sense of rhythm. He said that the predictor was the answer to the question that he asked each of the students before they even chose their instrument. The question was, how long do you think you will play? He said the students that said, oh, just for a while, never did well. The kids that said, I'll, I'll play for a while, did, did average. But the children who answered the question in this effect, saying, I, I want to be a musician. I want to play an instrument all of my life. He said, those are the kids that excelled. Those who made a commitment to become the best musicians. 
You see, folks, this is a matter for us, spiritually speaking, of cross-training, of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. It is a lifelong commitment. It's like the commitment that we state when we get married, for better, for worse, as long as we both shall live to death till death do us part. If you went into this faith relationship with Jesus Christ with the attitude of, I'll try Jesus for a while, see what happens, or... Uh, as long as Jesus makes my life better, I'll keep following him. You, you're, you're more likely to give up. Only those who view their decision to follow Jesus as an unbreakable, lifelong bond will be able to stand firm in the face of discouragement. When, when you get distra- distressed or stressed or fearful or, or anxious or some of those things, God has given us uh, these adrenal glands in our body that, that shoot adrenaline into our system that, that help us with times of fear and panic and stress and anxiety. They give us a, a real boost and we can have this burst of energy to handle it. The only problem is that when that adrenaline wears off, we, we feel this exhaustion and we are just worn out. Some people live their life like the adrenaline glands of the body they, you know, wait till the crisis moments and then they look for some kind of a burst of energy to get through them and then they're spiritually exhausted afterwards. They're up and they're down, they're up and they're down, they're high and they're low. But I think God wants us to live our Christian life more like the heart. It just beats steady. It just beats steady. Be steadfast, be immovable. It just keeps on beating. Sometimes it beats a little faster, sometimes it beats a little slower, but it just keeps beating beat after beat after beat until the day we draw our last breath. That's the way you get through the tough times and the pressure. No matter what happens, you just keep standing firm. Be steadfast. Here's the second thing. Let nothing move you. Now this second admonition at at first looks like the first one. What's the difference between Stand fast, stand firm, and let nothing move you. The second one has to do with future things that are going to come at us. Let nothing move you infers that we must not let whatever future temptations, persecutions, failures, or discouragements cause us to want to give up. And it is so easy to give up when we are discouraged. But those who persevere, those who keep at it, even in the midst of their discouragement, those are the ones who know true victory. Dr. Seuss's first children's book, And to Think I Saw It on Mulberry Street, was rejected by 27 publishers. The 28th publisher, Vanguard Press, sold 6 million copies of it. Margaret Mitchell's classic, Gone with the Wind, was turned down by more than 25 publishers. Babe Ruth, considered by sports historians to be one of the greatest athletes of all time and famous for setting the home run record that stood for decades, also holds the record for the most strikeouts. The movie Star Wars was rejected by every movie studio in Hollywood before 20th Century Fox finally and somewhat reluctantly produced it. It went on to be one of the largest grossing movies of film history and is still spinning off all kinds of other films. John Milton wrote his classic book, Paradise Lost, 16 years after he lost his eyesight. Sometimes it's it's not the times of discouragement, it's the times of perseverance through the discouragement that give us the ability to keep on going on. 
When you face temptation, failure, and discouragement, it becomes a matter of perseverance, pushing through. Author Robert Savage writes, he said, you can measure a man by the opposition it takes to discourage him. How much opposition does it take to get you down? In a Peanuts comic strip, Linus is, is writing his own cartoon. And, and Linus, you know, the one that carries the blanket, his older sister is Lucy. So he takes the comic to Lucy, hands her the picture, and, and he says, Lucy, tell me if you think this is funny. And Lucy looks at the cartoon, and she begins to smile and start to giggle. And, and she looks at Linus, and she says, who did this, Linus? And he said, I did. And her face fell, and she says, well, then I don't think it's very funny. And she wadded it up and threw it down and the last frame of the cartoon shows Linus picking up his blanket and the wad of paper, and he simply says, Big sisters are the crabgrass in the lawn of life. <laughs> How many crabby people do you know in this journey that we take? How many, how many crabby Lucys are out there who are beating down on you, who would rather wad up your dreams than to give you an encouraging word? I think that there are more people around you than what you realize who want to take you down if they can because somehow that will make you, them feel better if they can discourage you, much like Lucy in the Peanuts comic strip. But I'm here to tell you, don't let the crabby Lucys give you an excuse to give up. No one, no one can determine your attitude but you alone. So when the crabby Lucys gather around you, you just keep looking down the road and listening to God's word and know that if you will not be moved, nobody can discourage you. Here's the last thing. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Laziness stands in contrast to the character of a creative God. Do you realize, folks, that when we are first introduced to God in the book of Genesis in chapter 1, that God is at work? You ever stop to think about that? The first time we meet God in the Bible, he's at work. He's in the work of creation. It's, it's his creative nature. And, and really, God doesn't have any tolerance for laziness, spiritual or otherwise. Consider these passages. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 18. If a man is lazy, the rafters sag. If his hands are idle, the house leaks. Proverbs 10, 4. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. You say, well, what's wrong with laziness? Time is short. You don't have much time in this world. I don't have much time. And if you are lazy, you may miss the opportunity for which God has been preparing you all your life. What if Moses had been too lazy to walk over and see that burning bush? What if David had been too lazy to learn how to use a sling? What if Noah had been too lazy to work on a double major, carpentry and zoology? What if Peter had been too lazy to get out of the boat and walk on water? Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Benjamin Franklin wrote, he said, work as if you were to live a hundred years, pray as if you were to die tomorrow. Work hard, pray hard, time is short. Now God's not calling us to be workaholics, he's just saying be diligent. There is work to be done. And, and here's what he promises in this verse. And that is when we do what we do for him, when we serve him, when we work for him, that labor is never in vain. God never wastes your labor for him. 
The American missionary Adoniram Judson went to Burma in the year 1812 and uh, died there 38 years later in 1850. While he was there, he really suffered greatly. He was imprisoned. He was tortured. Uh, he was beaten for his faith. And, uh, and, and worst of all, he lost uh, the love of his life, his, his wife, Anne. And uh, for the next three years, he just mourned deeply. Three years after his death, and, and on a daily basis, he would go and sit next to her tomb. Three years later, he said, God to me is the great unknown. I believe in him. But I just can't find him. Through it all, Adoniram's faith, however, sustained him. And he threw himself into the work that he felt God had called him to do. And eventually, he worked through his sorrow. And he continued to work in translating the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, into the Burmese language. Before he died in 1850, it had been translated and printed. Now, statistics are a bit unclear when he died, but there were somewhere between 12 people and 25 people in Burma who had become professing Christians. At the end of his ministry, only 12 to 25 had embraced Jesus Christ, and there was no church there yet. At the 150th anniversary of the translation of the Bible into the Burmese language, Paul Borthwick was addressing a group that was celebrating Judson's translation work. And just before he got up to speak, Borthwick turned to his Burmese interpreter and said, Matthew, do you know anything about this man? And Matthew began to cry. Oh, yes, we know him. We know how he loved the Burmese people, how he suffered for the gospel out of love for us. He died a pauper, but he left us the Bible. And then Matthew added this. When he died, there were few believers. But today, there are over 600,000 of us, and every one of us can trace our spiritual heritage to one man, Adoniram Judson. Wow. What God had done with the work of Adoniram Judson. And here's the thing. Judson never lived to see it. He'd labored all of his life, poured his heart out for the people in Burma, never saw the fruit of the labor, but God did not waste his labor. It was never in vain. What you do for God will make a difference. So stand firm. Let nothing move you. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, and you will do your best in all of that. If your focus is on him and not everything else around you in this broken world. This is football season. And on an October afternoon in 1982, 60,000 diehard Wisconsin Badger fans filled their home stadium to watch the Badgers play the uh, Michigan State Spartans. Now, the Spartans were, like, like this year, rated, ranked really high, and, and the, the Badgers didn't have a good day. The Michigan State uh, Spartans just rolled all over the Badgers. But what the commentators couldn't figure out was that every so often from the Badger stands would come this cheer and this roar, and yet the Badgers on the field, were, were, they were just getting beat up. It wasn't until after the game that the commentators discovered that most of the people in the stands that day had their radios on and, and were listening with earpieces because 70 miles away, the Milwaukee Brewers 
were playing the St. Louis Cardinals in the World Series and the Brewers were winning. They were listening to a more hopeful sound in the midst of discouraging loss. Can I remind you this morning that God has called us in the midst of this broken world and all the discouraging loss and the crabby Lucy's of this world to listen to a different sound, to listen to the sounds of hope, to listen to the sounds of home, to listen to the voice of God who calls us to follow him. So stand firm. Let nothing move you. Give yourself fully to Jesus Christ, and he will make your life something phenomenal. If you do not know him as your Savior this morning, you can come while we sing this song. You can come after the service is over and talk to any of us down here. We just want more than anything else to help you find him. If, if your need is to be a part of this body, believers, come today. If, you're, if your need is to be baptized into Christ today, come. Just come and begin this journey with him this journey of cross-training.